0: Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra. Today, we have Nancy Hernandez with us. And she is a special education teacher. I invited Nancy to join us today because Nancy has one of those very nurturing approaches to education while yet taking the curriculum and adjusting and modifying it to the way that her students are able to understand the information and be able to remember and use it. Nancy has a total of 12 years in education,
2: and she's here today to tell us our story. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. and so nice to be here, and thank you for those kind words. (laughs) You're welcome. So, Nancy, tell us what made you want to be a teacher. Well, originally I wanted to be either a teacher or a lawyer, and I went into law, and I realized that There was a lot of politics and things like that. So I geared and I shifted towards education and I love kids. So I knew I wanted to teach the younger students, not middle school or high school. (laughs) So um, and originally I wanted to be a bilingual teacher. So I wanted to do bilingual kindergarten and with my years in um, a program with developmental students and students who are emotionally disturbed and psychiatric, I ended up being um, a, an individual aid, a shared aid, and then that's really where I took off and started to go into special ed. And how did being an individual and a shared
1: aid contribute to your? First days and years into teaching, how did it
2: help prepare you? Well, being an individual aid is a lot different than being a teacher because a teacher has to control everything, every aspect. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes aspects that you know, we don't know about if we're not teaching. So being an individual aid, you really work with the child and you really see those behaviors, You really see their strengths, their weaknesses, and you're focusing on one child. So you're able to pinpoint and you're able to support them a lot better than, you know, if you're working with four or five kids for the first time.
1: And do any of your stories or your memories stand out to you when you were uh, an aid and saying, you know what, this is the moment that I really decided I'm going to be an educator and this is my calling.
2: Well, it's funny because my first student that I've ever had, she was really developmental. Um, I was going into a fourth grade class and yet she was not potty trained. She had a lot of self-stimulatory behaviors, stimming. She uh, would have meltdowns constantly. And I was not used to that at 16. (laughs) So, you know, it was kind of an eye-opening experience. And seeing how much she developed over those six weeks in the summer program just blew my mind. And it's funny because When you're looking at a child with disabilities, it's a child with disabilities, not a disability that the child has. So it really is just great to see that child develop and to see their strengths and to see how their meltdowns become coping strategies and how their weaknesses become strengths. So what you're saying is that their disability doesn't define them. They're still children. Exactly.
1: And their meltdowns actually have a purpose is what you're saying.
2: Yes. Their meltdowns are a form of communication and their meltdowns are for a reason. A lot of the times, um, a lot of people don't understand that the reason why a child is acting out is because they're actually communicating to you. They, but they just can't say with their words yet.
1: So what do you think they might be communicating?
2: They might be communicating. Well, if they're nonverbal, it might be hunger. It might be discomfort. Um, Even students who are verbal, it just might be frustration, stress, anxiety, um, an inability to cope with what's going on at the moment. And you had mentioned
1: self-stimulatory and stimmy type of behaviors. Can you tell my listeners what that means?
2: Oh, sure. So um, self-stimulatory behavior is when a child does repetitious behaviors such as um, waving their hands up and down or um, knocking on their chin multiple times and it's a way to for the child to soothe themselves and that is a coping mechanism for them.
1: Okay, thank you for that.
2: So now we went into
1: your very early years Mm -hmm. and so tell us about the transition of you becoming your a teacher and your first days and and
2: your experiences through that transition? Uh, So I did become a teacher in the same um, school. So I was working with developmental children. And I decided that I wanted to go a more academic route because when I was younger, I wanted to do bilingual. So I was still trying to get into a bilingual field, but also with education. So I actually was going for bilingual special education, and that is the position that I received. So it was very interesting to see the contrast between students who were developmental and cognitively years and years and years below and dealing with students who maybe be only academically one or two, maybe three years below. It was a very big change, but I liked the challenge. It's a different type of challenge absolutely so I, I would imagine then you had to really uh, learn the curriculum that way you could teach them.
1: and have them learn more academics
2: yes and I noticed that a really big component was language so whether it was in the developmental stages or was it if it was in a school district all of the students struggled with language whether it was just second language, whether it was um, if they were nonverbal, they couldn't use words, they needed to use pictures or things like that. All of the students needed to develop that aspect before being able to continue over into the academics. And so, how did you support their learning in that area? So, a big component is pictures. And photographs and building vocabulary such as uh, using realia realia is when you're using real life um, objects to show students so for example if you're talking about a magnifying glass uh, I would bring in a magnifying glass and I would show them they would all use it they would see it they would use the word and from there you can stem off and use their prior knowledge what they have already learned or what they already know and connect it because building connections is how students remember the material and all of their other experiences. Especially when
1: connecting with your teachers and people around them as well, right? Yes. Yes, so it is very important that visual component as it uh, really supports their working memory and their ability to self-regulate. Can you talk to um, the listeners about how do you help
2: children and what types of strategies
1: do you help them to focus?
2: So, focusing is really, really difficult for a lot of my students. Um, Before COVID, it was a little bit easier. Um, I used to have um, a calm down corner and there was a little area that had, um, you know, beanbag chairs, flexible seating. It had um, the breathing corner. It had Um, feel-good pictures and things that would help them calm down and help them eventually regulate themselves. Now with COVID, it's a little bit different because now we're not able to share those things and it's hard to clean a beanbag chair. (laughs) So um, we have to kind of switch our mentality and how to focus and how to help those kids focus. So a lot of times they need something tactile So um, what I did was I put um, Velcro underneath their desks so that they can have that tactile sensation. Another thing was um, whatever they're interested in, such as cars or animals, I give them those feel-good pictures for themselves. So instead of having um, one that was universal for all of the kids to share, they had individual pictures. pictures that made them feel good, that made them remember like, wow, this is how I want to feel instead of when they're unfocused, they get frustrated, they become behavioral and things like that. So maybe you're even
1: releasing some of their endorphins by encouraging them to engage in those happy thoughts by looking at those pictures. Yeah. And bring them back to those happy memories. Are they able? Then I suppose they are, being that you're using it as a strategy. Are they able to transition from looking at like the car and then transition to okay, now it's time for me to work through um, this
2: current task. So there are some students who are able to do that, and they're capable of, you know, saying okay, I'm I'm ready. And there's other students who need a little bit more prompting. So for those students, I try and get as much um, physical aspects, such as like walking around their desk or getting out of their seat. So I do a lot of brain breaks throughout the day. And a lot of those brain breaks are physical because students who need to focus or even students in general can't sit so long. I can't sit that long. I mean, I can't expect students to. So to get them moving and things like that, I incorporate whole brain teaching into my lessons. So whole brain teaching is just a way for students to incorporate multi-sensory learning, and it helps them to use all of their senses while they're learning, so sometimes they don't even realize that they're releasing that energy during a lesson. That's fantastic, especially it's so important now, being
1: with the socially distanced, educating that we have to do now, to really remember that we have to add in that multisensory learning. Can you give us an example of what... Um, maybe a lesson might look like or an example
2: of how do you add in multi-sensory learning? So something that's really challenging this year is writing. Writing is very difficult because of the online component and because students just struggle with spelling and grammar and syntax and things like that. So one example of whole brain teaching would be um, each punctuation mark or each um, aspect of writing has... strategy so for instance if we're talking about a capital letter the children will put their hands in front of them and then they would um, put one hand down one hand up that's for a capital letter so they know that if a sentence begins with a capital letter they are going to put their hands in that motion so at the end of the sentence they would um, put their hand out and make like a car stop so it would go "Er," so for example, if it said, I saw the cat, it would go capital I, saw the cat, er, so the kids are using, you know, funny sounds, they're using their body motion, they're using their auditory senses, and they're using that whole entire thing just to write a sentence. And
1: what I see what you're doing is you're keeping one hand with your palm up and the other palm up. Uh, palm down on top of each other. And when that capital letter is supposed to be used within this strategy, then that top hand is going up, like growing that letter like the uppercase letter. Yeah, exactly. Just so we can see it through through our listeners. That's right. We we only have one modality right now. I know. Maybe next time we'll have to do an audio and visual. (laughs) But... That's fantastic. And uh, I can see where then kinesthetically the children are getting involved and, the, and therefore they're more likely to remember the information being taught moving forward. Right. Fantastic. So now that we are in times of COVID and they are changing for the better, we are going from six feet distance to three feet. Can you describe what that looks like to our listeners, though, in terms of what the classroom structure is physically and then we can furthermore talk about what has it been like to teach remotely hybrid or not so much hybrid because you have all of your students
2: they're either remote or they're in person is that correct right so I have both remote and in person right can you describe that to us Okay. So before COVID, my classroom was very different. (laughs) So I had two horseshoe tables where I used to pull um, small groups. I had a library area with flexible seating, with pillows, with things like that, um, with stuffed animals that students could read to. I had um, two filing cabinets next to each other and kind of like a curtain just so for you know, a little cozy area. I had the students in groups or I had them in a U table. Um, and unfortunately this year my classroom looks very different. So I don't have any of the flexible seating like I used to. It looks a lot different. All of the students are in rows and columns six feet apart and they're all facing the board. There is no small group um, activities or no small group area anymore. And it has been challenging for the students to sit like that and to focus for so long during the day. Right, we're really demanding a lot of them physically, especially... uh that
1: they, they really can't go anywhere. And who knew that those horseshoe tables would be missed so much. Yeah. We'll take the ones that wiggle, right? Yeah. Doesn't matter if they're even anymore.
2: Nope. I'll put a little piece of wood or something.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Doesn't matter, like, the top of it's peeling apart. Because nope. it's from 1970s. <laughs> as long as we have them.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we can't wait, right? No, no. I mean, those small groups were... I would say, essential for special education. And now not having that, it's very, very different. And teaching in this setting, there's a lot of either individual work or whole class. And a lot of times the reason why students are in a classroom for special needs is because they cannot handle whole class situations. They need that one-on-one Um, intervention. They need that small group instruction and redirection. So it has been challenging. What do you see, if you had a a crystal ball,
1: what do you see moving forward in terms of um, having more kids come into class and we're allowed to teach closer to the children? If you had to make a guess in your own experience with this this world and this pandemic that we're living in, what do you think um,
2: it would look like? Well, I've never lived through a pandemic before, so <laughs> hopefully it goes back to normal. <laughs> but um, for right now, I think, you know, with the three feet instead of the six feet, I, unfortunately, I think things are going to s- kind of stay the same for a while. Um, hopefully going into next year, we'll be able to have um, you know small groups and things like that because, Students, like I said before, really need that small group intervention. But for right now, I think it's more um, going to benefit the general education classrooms because those are larger and they're able to fit more students if they have less distance. Right. And so working through this, can you give us some advice to parents or some
1: strategies to parents during this time to help them to support their child, whether it be
2: academically, academically, behaviorally, and or socially, emotionally for their child? Uh, Well, the first thing that I feel is necessary is that um, parents need to support their child socially and emotionally. If a child is not in the right mindset to be into school or to learn, then they will not be learning. If they don't have their basic needs met, they will not be able to focus on Fractions. (laughs) Fractions. <laughs> right. If they're not eating, if they are not sleeping, if they have an issue on the bus or if they ha- are self-conscious, they those are things that are going to impede their ability and their capabilities um, because that's all they're thinking of. Right. And, you know, it's funny. I just opened up a magazine
1: a couple of hours ago oh. from the National Education Association, the NEA, and they were, um, they published a survey, and the source was Community Schools Playbook Partnership for the Future of Learning, where they took information and they're sharing it with us for communities and schools, actually from 2015. But it says that according to one poll, teachers in school with large low income populations spent an average of 20% of their time helping with non-academic problems. And so that actually really relates right now to what you're saying in terms of, please, we see it in schools. Uh How can we help you with these needs? Let's work together. And so how do you see that impacting? What's your role in trying to help with some of these basic needs or what are the schools doing to help support
2: parents? So the schools have um, food programs that come in and, you know, help with uh, food if anybody doesn't have food or if they're unable to go to the store or things like that, which is a basic need that a lot of our students need. Um, And... um, Coming into the school, a lot of the students are dealing with a lot of social and emotional things that are going on at home. So what I do is I try to talk to the parents as much as possible, try to see what they like, their dislikes, what motivates them. Um, What's really important is for parents and teachers to build that uh, connection and to build that rapport so that we are on the same page. Our goal is for students to be as independent as possible. And in order for them to do that, they need to generalize their skills. And in order to generalize their skills, they need to be able to do the same thing at home and transfer them at school and vice versa. So in order for them to do that, uh, parents and teachers and even um, therapists, psychologists and Everyone in the school really needs to work hand in hand with students to see what is beneficial for that student and what is going to drive them to be motivated and to get to that next step. And I find schools to be almost a secret
1: source for parents. I think sometimes parents don't realize that they can lean on schools in ways that they may not have even thought of, even with clothing. Right. Even with, you know, even calling the front office, is there somebody, can I speak with the nurse? Are there, are there extra clothes around? We're struggling right now. If not, do you know where I can go for help?
2: Right, and then some of the schools, like our school does have a coat drive for the winter. They do have, um, uh, the teachers gather up money and they do donate to families. Uh, last year we did... Um, Um, I forgot exactly what it was called, but it was like Kids for Dreams or Dreamers like that. So what we did was we had the students write a paragraph of something that they might need, and we picked two from each grade, and then we tried to get them that need, whether it was a bicycle or maybe some clothes or something that they really needed. Not that they wanted, but they actually needed in order to... You know, just meet those basic needs exactly, and walk into school feeling confident,
1: as you were saying, and and ready to learn. Yeah, because their basic needs are met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's really a lovely way to approach it, as well as having those resources there all the time. It sounds like that was something even above and beyond. So that's wonderful. And I believe you work in a, a title one school. Yes, I do. So mm-hmm. those are a lot of needs that need to be met in that type of school. Right. Right. When they come to low, low income students and families. But I do want to share a story, and that story is outside of the classroom, you had seen a—actually, I had brought this up in another (laughs) podcast, but you were really the source. So I want to hear more about it, and I think it is such an important lesson for the listeners to understand. So I'm just going to give a little preview first, and that is actually one of the workshops that I provide is teacher praise and uh, student success and how the two are really commingled, Because lots of times we, we praise students in ways that really support a fixed mindset, so they think things are black and white, instead of having that growth mindset of saying, hey, you know what, I have other alternatives here, or I really did try and use my strategies, and that's good enough. Even though I didn't really get to where I wanted to be, I'm gonna do the same thing next time, practice more, and I'm gonna keep on going. So one of my my things that I really am stuck on is the way that we praise students. So outside the classroom, it was such a growing and learning experience for me. So I want to thank you and your students for coming and and bringing, you know, what what their concern was to you and then you taking the time to speak with me because I had a list of different ways to praise kids, but the title is something that they felt uncomfortable with.
2: So um, why don't you tell us a bit about that? So it was funny because I believe you had this up all year. Yes, yep. So um, you had put a backing on the paper, and I guess that really caught some of their attention. So a lot of my students... Yeah. (laughs) A lot of my students had, you know, saw the sign, and then they saw, and the sign had said don't say I'm smart. Stop saying you're so smart. Yeah, Yeah. stop saying you're so smart. So my students, because they're very fragile and they're very self-conscious about themselves, thought that the sign was saying that they were not smart and that they were not allowed to tell themselves that they were smart. So I, of course, you know, we talk about growth mindset every day, talk about, you know, what you can do and things that can help you. And we went over that Um, But they still were fixed on the sign. (laughs) So I came and I talked to you and I asked you if you can change it to instead of saying don't say to say other ways or instead of. And the students, for some reason, opened up and they were more willing to read the rest of the sign. Yeah, it's amazing. And your kids are in fourth grade. Yes, they're fourth grade. So I have students who are nine, ten, around that age group. Mhm. And
1: you know, so I did. I I changed it and I said instead of saying you're so smart, good girl or good boy, try saying I wanted to really be more detailed. So when adults came because so many times in general we hear good boy, good girl and whether it be the adults in their lives, some educators or even cousins and friends or or role Whatever. models. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're saying good girl, good boy. That means, wow, I did that. But what happens if I don't do it again? Does that mean I'm bad? I really wanted to add that. And so I actually added some some new things to to think about and to say, but here's the the biggest lesson I think, and you tell me what you think, Nancy, in all of this, is your kids are 9, 10 years old, 4th grade. Now, there's something that says, stop saying you're so smart. Instead of looking at that saying, hmm, I wonder what that means. Let me read on. It hit their heart as, oh my goodness, that's telling me not to be smart. And uh, am I not smart? Is that why it's telling me that? Because I would imagine the way that they were praised was a judgment. And it wasn't a way of saying, the ability, or getting them to reflect on it. What do you think about that?
2: I think that the students are starting, well, my students are starting to reflect on their progress and things like that. I take the time out to go over goals that they have. I Well, I make them write their own goal for each week, and then they have to reflect to see if they made the goal or not. But a lot of teachers work differently. So a lot of teachers may just say, you know, Good job, or you know, you're so smart. Wow, you're participating, you're, you're doing such a good job. But then, what happens to that kid in the corner who's not, you know, participating? He might be just as quote unquote smart as the other student, but they might be shy or they might have something going on that day. So, that is a way that students are internalizing what you're saying. You have to be careful about how you are praising, like you're saying, because sometimes students are taking things to heart, and you don't even know that they're doing it. Right, so they're
1: watching and listening and learning from other people's interaction, whether it be teacher and student, right, or their very own parent and their sibling, And so we all need to really be careful. And it would be helpful to give specific praise Mm -hmm. in, I see you worked hard and used your strategies, or you used your notes to look at um, the information, or you went back in the text, whatever it might be, giving them that
2: specific example so they're more likely to engage in that same behavior again. Right, and that also shows other students, wow, that person is looking at the word wall. Maybe I should look at the word wall. Oh, wow, this person took out their book and their their spelling folder. They're using that. And my teacher said, wow, great strategy. Maybe I should do that. So it has um, an opportunity for them to self-reflect upon themselves and for them to start using those strategies as well. And that's a great tip. And it's a great tip because then it also becomes part of your management. Right.
1: Because now you don't even have to tell your other student, remember to yeah. look at the word wall.
2: And a lot of times, um, so I hear a lot of teachers saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't, no, no, no. And all the students are hearing is if they hear don't stand up, they hear stand up. They, they don't hear the full thing. So instead of saying, no, don't do that, I would put it in a positive way. So instead of saying, um, you're writing, don't forget to put punctuation, you could say, oh, wow, I see, you know, there's no punctuation. What can you do? Giving them those higher order thinking questions or saying punctuation would be a great idea, you know? So giving them that positive um, way of thinking of things also. Right, So, so really telling them, what
1: the behavior is, or what the action what the goal, is, yeah. right? So that way they, they see
2: visually too in their mind, this is what I need to be doing. Right. Es- especially for those students who um, are hyperactive or who have ADD and they're not listening to the whole entire sentence, you might say, stop talking. And all they hear is talking, so they will keep talking. <laughs> so instead, you can say, uh, why don't you let the next person talk or wait your turn or things like that? Because it's giving them the direction that you want instead of the direction that you don't want.
1: Right. And then it gives you an opportunity to praise. I see that you follow directions. I see that you listened. I see that you stopped and gave a chance for the other person to speak. You, you took turns and it becomes something that's, I would imagine, very
2: um, organic in the classroom after a while. Yeah, after a while, it's great to see how the students um, start to even kind of coach other students yes. on how to do that. Some of the students who might not have the vocabulary because they are English language learners are starting to get that coaching from their peers. And a lot of times they're remembering and it's more significant from their peers because it's somebody their own age. And because you're giving them that foundation,
1: it's just like you said, you do growth mindset and you set that groundwork every day. Now you're putting it into practice where they're actually, your thinking is being shaped And therefore their language skills sound like they're really being shaped to communicate in that way too. Yes.
2: And especially I have um, something that's called accountable talk. So for the English language learners, I keep um, language stems or um, the beginning of a sentence so that they can follow that and then add on. So if someone says um, the product is for... That's great. That's a complete sentence. And now I'll call on someone else. Do you agree or disagree? So now that gives them even more language. That gives them um, the thought process. Hmm. Is it right? Is it wrong? I didn't say it was right. I didn't say it was wrong. I asked your opinion. So now it gives them that chance to interact with their peers, to think about the question and to hold themselves accountable on what they are thinking.
1: Nancy, can you tell us about a student who has touched your your heart forever and that you'll never forget?
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, there's this one student. Um, I actually babysat her, um, and she was a nonverbal student, and she was a handful. <laughs> mm-hmm. She would throw her sneakers. She would um, bite. She would have meltdowns all the time. And I worked with her as um, the TA in the room. And I was like, okay, let's see how it's going to go. When I was at her house, I noticed that she did whatever she wanted. (laughs) If she wanted to go into the fridge and throw things out, she did it. And when I was talking to the parents, um, they were surprised at how stern I was with her. They were surprised that I told her, what are you doing? You are not allowed to do that. And in that instance, I did say no because I wanted her to stop. So, for example, if she was throwing her shoe, I would just say no. And she looked at me because she had no... she, She hasn't heard that at home. She only heard that at school. There's the transfer of skills. So... Um she actually stopped. And uh, when I started babysitting her, she had no meltdowns. She followed the direction. And from that point, I saw the transfer of skills from home to school and vice versa. So when I was at school, I saw um, certain things that she would do at home that were positive. And I would make sure to tell her, great job. I'm so proud of you. And when she was at home she would do things that she used to do at school so for example when I first started babysitting her if she didn't get her way she would have a complete meltdown um she would try to elope which means like she runs away um she had no language skills um she used to use an AAC device which is a um iPad that has pictures that when you tap on it um it talks for you Uh, She used to throw it away, things like that. So working with her at school, so at school I took a more direct approach with her. So I worked with her more at school, more at home. And I saw her grow so much. And I literally was crying. (laughs) When she said my name, I burst into tears. I was like, oh my god. Like obviously it wasn't Nancy, but she used to say, N-na-na-na. and she used to say, you know, That's tremendous. words, and that was just so rewarding. She used to, I mean, I babysat her for two years. She was potty trained. She began using her AAC device. She said her colors, her wow. numbers, just the growth that I saw in her and the growth that I saw in how the parents interacted with her was so touching. And I will never forget that because she was like my favorite little girl. (laughs) She had no voice in the sense that she couldn't speak, but her personality was so big and she just grew and I will never forget her. How long ago was that? That was about two years ago. Yeah. You know, stay. I, I could see in your eyes
1: yeah. you're classy she's gonna stay with you forever but yeah. I have a feeling you're gonna stay with her forever yeah. too and and that's the power of nurturing caring consistency mm-hmm.
2: right that connection between home and school is like so important and to see that bridge where I was able to help her at school and then bring those skills at home and give those skills to her parents and they were implementing it was huge because I knew I wasn't going to be there forever. And for them to implement those things and to see her grow was just astronomical. Did you
1: believe in her, Nancy? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what we all need to do with kids who struggle learning is we have to have that beyond expectations attitude. Right. Right. And we need to model, we need to learn ourselves as the adults so we can model and teach kids who don't believe that at first about themselves. And a lot of
2: people saw her as a troublemaker. A lot of people saw her as, oh, you know, she can't talk. She doesn't know what's going on. She was fully aware. She just wasn't able to communicate. Her meltdowns were because she was frustrated or because her parents didn't understand. There was a breakdown in communication. And... She was perfectly capable of doing these things. So once I raised that bar and I set that expectation, she rose to the challenge and I was just floored. I was just so proud of her. And we should be proud of you too (laughs) because you had that connection that we were talking about earlier in
1: the podcast. It's the connection. Could you do any of that without connecting with her? Oh, no. And why do you think the two of you were so connected?
2: Well, I mean all of the time that we spent together, but I also found things that she really liked. So, things that really motivated her was actually me brushing her hair. So, a reward would be okay if you did your morning routine, followed your visual schedule, and helped me put away the dishes. I would do your hair the way you want to. And she would want, like, a French braid. She just loved me playing with her hair, loved that quality time. And that also transferred over at school because every time she wanted me to do something, I would say, okay, remember, you know, that will be a reward when we get home. So building that. Uh, relationship and knowing what she wanted what motivated her really helped me and build that connection and understanding that that
1: motivator it wasn't bribery
2: it was something that she really needed
1: mm-hmm. to be able to perform in the way or or meet that expectation, which is a healthy one for her, right. to be able to earn whatever it might have been
2: like brushing her hair at the time. Exactly, yeah. And all kids yeah. have different things that motivate them. We have things that motivate us. Sometimes we don't want to do things, and other times we say, oh, you know, I want to look good this summer. I'm gonna <laughs> exercise. Right. You know, that's motivation. And Just because we're adults doesn't mean that we should treat children like they're babies. They're they're mini adults and we need to hold them to that expectation. Right. Appropriate Appropriate. expectations for them is so important.
1: And that comes with, I think, having a strong connection and really believing in them and teaching them to believe in themselves too. Yeah. So, Nancy, how would you, um, what would one piece of advice, that you could tell students to help them turn their I can't into I can?
2: Well, I really feel like they need to find somebody who is important to them and that they can trust and that they really feel comfortable with and be able to tell that person what's wrong or ask them for help. Ask them, because a lot of my students, they feel... Like, oh, I can't do this, so I'm not going to try. Or, you know, they feel embarrassed to ask a question. So if they have somebody that they feel comfortable with expressing those ideas and things like that, then I really feel like they'll be able to um, not only express themselves, but also get advice from somebody who is really building that connection or has that connection already. Great, thank you.
1: Nancy, is there anything else that you would like to share with us today? Well, we spoke about a lot of things. We sure (laughs) did.
2: The biggest takeaway is that children really need that expectations um, put on them. And not an expectation that is, you know, completely out of... A reach it has to be a tangible expectation and the students need to understand what that expectation is because sometimes we put expectations on children and we just expect them to do it but they're not explicitly told to those students or to the children so uh, t- students really need to understand what they need to do why they need to do it and their progress towards their goals that's fantastic
1: nancy thank you so much for joining us today Uh, it's a pleasure being here (laughs) i think i this is such valuable information for the listeners i think they have many takeaways from you today and for all of you listening out there i hope that you share this podcast and look forward to the next one where we will be talking about what is behavior specific praise you could search for that one as well as other podcasts to help kids turn their I can't into I can. Make it a great day, everyone. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com Amazon, and TeachersPayTeachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout out on social media.